Let me pray for our brother. Lord God, we thank you for the great privilege of hearing the word of God proclaimed. We thank you that, Lord Jesus, you come to us in that word. You, in, you use it. Uh, you use the ministry of men to bring the word to bear on our consciences, to open that word to our understanding. Christ reveals himself so gloriously to us in it. As Paul said, the preaching of the word is the power of God to salvation. The gospel, the sweet gospel that, Lord, you have planted in our hearts through the ministry of the word and continue to nourish through that ministry. Lord, we come to this word. We come to this ministry. And in so doing, Lord, we know we come to you for you own it all. As we faithfully proclaim your word, Lord, you come to us and reveal yourself to us. Lord, you are infinitely more eager to do it than we are, even though we hunger and thirst for it even now. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us by your sovereign grace. For We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. It has uh, become... <clears throat> Pretty cool to take old hymns and put them to new tunes. That's become something that is a little bit more uh, popular now than it has been in the past. But what Darwin did not tell you is that he was writing new tunes to old hymns uh, 20 years ago before it became cool uh, to do it. Um, uh, And if you have uh, had any connection with RUF you're a current student or a former student, would you just stand, please, for one minute? All of you, please. All of you. I'd like for no one to please be sitting. Okay. Um, I just uh, briefly wanted them to stand because uh, this is your ministry. Uh, This is the ministry of Fort Worth Presbyterian Church on the campus at TCU. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, The the thing that has uh, made this difficult for us is not the beauty of uh, the upstate of South Carolina. It's beautiful up there. There are lots of trees. You can uh, almost see the mountains from Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And Leanne, of course, will be much closer to her family. Uh, But what has made it difficult is that we love this church. And the relationships that have been uh, built here, and that is what has made it hard for us. Um, I will say I will not miss it being 110 in July. Um, so as we get uh, as we get started, I want to credit Tim Keller with some of the ideas in uh, my sermon from his study of the Book of Romans. He has a, a, a section there on God's sovereignty that really helped me personally. And uh, the Back to the Future illustration is his also when we get to that point. So Genesis chapter 37, if you have a Bible, Genesis chapter 37, going to read verses 5 through 11 and then 18 through 36, 18 through 36. It is on page 31 of the Pew Bible. Page 31 on the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's there on page 31. And then we will 
fast forward, <clears throat> page 30. Okay, thank you, as I corrected. Genesis 37, 5 through 11, 18 through 36, and then Genesis 50, 15 through 21. Genesis 50, 15 through 21, which I believe is on page 43. <clears throat> Hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will, hap- what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Cast him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. They took the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. 
All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now let's go to the end of the story in Genesis chapter 50. 15 through 21. Think of the horrible crime that his brother committed against him as we read. His brother's committed against him as we read this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came down and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. How was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? And not just to forgive them, but to bless them and their little ones. How was he able to forgive them? And not just to forgive them, but to bless their little ones. He trusted in the providence and the goodness of God. He trusted in the providence and the goodness of God. This morning, I want us to look together at the doctrine of God's providence in the life of Joseph. Now, providence is a word that has dropped out of our vocabulary and we need to reclaim it. We need to reclaim the doctrine of providence. Providence answers this question. Is there anyone controlling or directing my life? Is there anyone controlling or directing my life? As we get started, what is providence and how does it work? What is it and how does it work? What is it? Providence is God's invisible hand bringing His will and His plan to pass. The doctrine of providence teaches that an infinite personal God controls and directs all things for His glory and for our good. There's no better illustration of providence than the life of Joseph. As we get started, providence should be contrasted with coincidence. Coincidence says the circumstances of our lives are just that. Coincidence. Just mere chance. But the doctrine of God's providence says that God has planned all things and brings all He has planned to pass. How does it work? How does it work? It works paradoxically. That is Keller's phrase. We need to say two things here as we get started about how providence works. First, God controls all things. And, and, and the decisions and the choices that we make are real. Biblical reformational Christianity says both of those truths are true. 
God had a plan for Joseph the whole time. God's will would be accomplished. And, and, and Joseph's brothers are fully to blame for their treatment of Joseph. Providence then is paradoxical. God's plans will be accomplished and our decisions at the same time are real. Providence is not fatalism and providence is not autonomous freedom. Let's look at each one of these. First, we're not talking about fatalism. Fatalism says your future is totally fixed. It's totally fixed. Philosophically, it's called determinism. Theologically, it's called hyper-Calvinism. This position says no matter what you do, no matter what you do, you can't change your future at all. It's fatalistic. No matter what choices you make, you can't change anything. It's absolutely, totally fixed. On the fatalistic approach, we are reduced to robots. Fatalism makes us passive and say, who cares? It doesn't really matter what I do. Scripture rejects that view. Who was responsible for selling Joseph into slavery? His brothers. His brothers. Genesis 50, verse 20, the first part of the verse again. As for you, you meant evil against me. His brothers even ask for his forgiveness in verses 17 and 18, demonstrating that they knew they were responsible for their actions against him. Biblically, our choices are real and our choices have consequences. The most underrated film of 2003 was Man on Fire. Denzel Washington's character was a special forces guy who was also an alcoholic. His alcoholism and his drinking affected his life. The doctrine of human, the doctrine of providence takes human choice seriously. The first way that people tend to think about this is fatalistically. The second way is in terms of autonomous freedom. Autonomous freedom. This option says your future is totally free. It's totally free. Theologically, it's called open theism. Popularly, it's the wisdom given to Marty McFly in that great 80s trilogy, Back to the Future. It's a cinematic classic. You remember what Doc Brown says to Marty at the end of the trilogy? Doc Brown says, your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Your future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Providence rejects Doc Brown's position. And it says that an infinite personal God controls and directs all things. Genesis 50, 20b. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Providence is God's invisible hand bringing His will to pass. And yet, providence is paradoxical because while God controls and directs all things, our decisions are real within the scope of His sovereignty. The Westminster Confession of Faith is beautifully, wildly balanced on this difficult subject. It says, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. Yet, so as thereby, 
Neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of secondary causes taken away, but rather established. That's quite a mouthful, but worth your time to think about. See Cameron Young or Brett Taylor to unpack that statement for you. What do we know about God's invisible hand? Five truths from Keller's study on Romans. First, there is a plan. There is a plan. It's never coincidental. It's always providential. See, there was a plan for Joseph's life. And there's a plan for your life too. Second, the plan is perfect. The plan is perfect. You know what I would have said if I was Joseph? This is a bad plan, God. Don't you have a plan B? This is not a good plan. Can't we move to plan B now? Sometimes I get this question. How did you choose TCU, Dustin? I didn't. I'd never even heard of TCU. In fact, when I was offered the TCU job, I was also offered the Texas A&M job. The RUF committee asked me, Dustin, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to TCU or do you want to go to Texas A&M? I said, I don't know. Y'all choose for me. I said, y'all, because I'm from Alabama. (laughs) If it had been left up to me to think about it, I would have chosen Texas A&M. There was already an RUF established there. There was nothing at TCU. Not one student had even heard of RUF. Had it been left up to me to make this decision, Brian Davis and Lauren Babbitt would not be working at Fort Worth Prez now. Had this decision been left up to me and had I had time to think about it, I'd have never met John Weiser, who's been a father in the faith to me. Leanne would have never met Terry Weiser, who's been like a second mom after her mom died a few years ago. See, the plan is perfect. The plan is perfect. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. The plan is perfect. Coincidence says there is no plan. Providence says God is always accomplishing a perfect plan for His glory and for our good. Now you can say, but this was such a bad deal for Joseph. This was such a bad plan. An innocent man is continuously done wrong. This is a crime. And you'd be right. The only bigger crime occurred thousands of years later when Jesus Christ, a truly innocent man, died for the guilty on the cross. That was a crime. That an innocent man would die for a guilty man like me. That's a crime. Third, the plan is exhaustive. The plan is exhaustive. When she was very little, our family used to call our daughter Meredith Hope the rooster. Because her hair stood straight up all the time like a rooster. Jesus says that even the very hairs on your head are numbered. God knows every detail of the plan down to the texture and the colors of Joseph's coat. 
The plan is exhaustive. I've tried to illustrate this to college students like this. God knows your wedding date. God knows your wedding date. Girls, God knows the exact dress you'll be wearing that day. Guys, God knows the exact location of your honeymoon. Hallelujah. You see, open theism says that God is surprised by the future. But biblical Christianity says God controls and directs the future. He controls and directs all things for His glory and for our good. In fact, God planned for you to be sitting in the exact spot you're in, in the pew this morning. All your life has been directed to this very day. Nothing is mere coincidence. We worked our way through a horse and his boy a while back, which is one book in the Chronicles of Narnia series. The boy Shasta is an orphan. He goes on this grand adventure, and we find out later he's really a prince. All his life, he thought he was an orphan with no one to care for him. Along the way, he meets Aslan, the Christ figure. And Aslan says this to him about his life as an orphan, or so he thought. I was the lion you do not remember, who pushed the boat in which you lay, a child near death, so that it came to shore where a man sat wakeful at midnight to receive you. Nothing is mere coincidence. Nothing is mere coincidence. Aslan watches the boat. Aslan directs the boat. What did Joseph understand that we often don't? What did Joseph understand that I know that I don't? He understood that there are two hands in the world that control and direct all things. He understands that there are two hands that control and direct all things. And Joseph entrusted himself to those two hands. They are good hands. And you can entrust yourself to those hands. Aslan always guides the boat. John Newton said, God, what you will, when you will, where you will. The other question that I get is, Dustin, where did you go to college? A place that you've never heard of, Livingston University, except maybe Darwin. And I'd even be skeptical about that. (laughs) It's a place so far removed from civilization that we have to drive an hour to see a movie or 30 minutes to get a McDonald's hamburger. For fun, we hung out at the the local truck stop eating cheese fries because that was the only place open at night. Whenever I get letters in the mail from my alma mater... They go right in the trash can. (laughs) I'm never giving money to Livingston University, and you can keep that one on tape. It is the most forgettable place in the world. It is. It would be erased from my memory, save one thing. Rather, one person, my wife. That's where I met Leanne. Interstate 59 and 20 runs right by the exit 
for Livingston University. It's exit 17. Now, whenever we go by there, well, I stop the car and I ask Jacob and Nathan, boys, what happened at exit 17? <laughs> They'll tell you. That's where God was good to my dad. That's where my dad met my mom. Now, if we ever come back to Fort Worth Prez, I'll tell him, that's the place where God was good to your dad. This is the place where he was good to your father. You see, the invisible hand of providence is always moving. It's always working. Though God's hand is hidden, it is real nonetheless. Though it seems hidden to us at times, it is real nonetheless. Nothing is mere coincidence. God doesn't just know the future. He controls the future. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. In fact, Genesis 50 verse 20 is engraved on the inside of my wedding band to remind me of God's providential care in my life. What happens when life doesn't turn out like you thought it would? What happens? You must trust providence. You must trust Providence. You see, there was no way for Joseph to see the end of the story in the middle of the story. There was no way for him to see the end of the story while he was in the middle of it. You can't say, God, if you let me know what's going on by Saturday, well, then I'll trust you. If I know what's going to happen by then, then I'll trust you. You see, you can only see after it's over. You can only see the hand working at the end of the story. In the middle of it, you have to trust and you have to pray like John Newton. God, what you will, how you will, when you will. This is the problem that I've had the last two months. You see, I want to guarantee that everything will be okay when I move to Furman. I want to guarantee that I can raise the money. I want to guarantee that students will come. I want to guarantee that I'll get a guitar player like Brett Taylor. I want to guarantee that my house is going to sell for a decent price. The guarantee that I have, what I have to learn, what I've had to learn is the guarantee that I have is not an easy life. It is a changed life, which in the end is the best life of all. Fourth, much of the plan is secret. Much of the plan is secret. If you've been around me long enough, you know that Deuteronomy 29.29 is one of my favorite verses. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. We have an annual RUF skeet shoot where Meredith Leachman and Aaron Morgan put the guys to shame. God's will is not a moving target. It's not a moving target. It is found in obeying His revealed will. It's found in obeying His Word. You see, you really can't miss God's will in the way that we normally think about it. If there ever was a guy who said, maybe I can miss God's will, it was Joseph. 
You really can't miss God's will in the way that we normally think about it. You can rebel against it, but you really can't miss it. Why? Because God's will is not a dot to find, but a framework in which to live. God's will is not a dot to find, but it's a framework in which to live. The framework of the Scriptures. What we tend to want is to know where the dot is so we can hit it and then we can know we're in the center of God's will. That's not it at all. God's will is found as we obey His Word. Why does God allow dark providence to come into our life? Joseph's life was one of dark providence. Why do we, why do we have suffering that comes into our life? We don't always know. We don't always know. Hard legalism tends to say to us, if you're having a hard life, then God is punishing you for your sins. Joseph's life is proof that that isn't true. One reason is to make us more dependent on Him. To cause us to trust Him. The real question is, how will we respond to suffering? How will we respond to suffering? Suffering will either make you a bitter person or it will make you a beautiful person. That's what it did for Joseph. He had the right to be the most bitter man on the planet. But instead of being bitter, he blessed his brothers who sinned against him and he provided for their little ones. A few weeks ago, we sang, Thou lovely source of true delight, a hymn of Jesus being our delight and our comfort. We sang it this morning, but after we sang it a couple of weeks ago, I began to be interested in it. Thou lovely source of true delight, whom I unseen adore, unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. Thy glory over creation shines, but in thy sacred word, I read in fairer, brighter lines, my bleeding, dying Lord, See my bleeding, dying Lord. Tis here whenever my comforts droop and sin and sorrow rise, thy love with cheering beams of hope, my fainting heart supplies, my fainting heart supplied. But ah, too soon the pleasing scene is clouded over with pain. My gloomy fears rise dark between and I again complain. Oh, I again complain. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, O come with blissful ray, break radiant through the shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace the wonders of thy love, but the full glories of thy face are only known above. They are only known above. After we sang that hymn, I checked out the author, Ann Steele. And I thought to myself, Ann Steele understands something that I don't understand. I wonder what her life was like. I wonder what God's providence in her life was like. So I decided to read a little bit about her life. And this is what I found. 
Anne Steele lived in England from 1716 to 1778. She was born in Broughton, where her father, who was a timber merchant, preached at the Baptist church for 60 years, most of the time without receiving a salary. She actually only lived 15 miles from the great Isaac Watts, although it is unlikely that they ever met. Tune in now. Her mother died when she was three years old. And when she was 19, she suffered a severe injury to her hip, rendering her an invalid for most of her life. When she was 21, she was engaged to Robert Ellscourt, but the day before her wedding, he was drowned while bathing in the river. She was never married and assisted her father in his pastoral labors for her whole life. Although, for the last nine years of her life, she was never able to leave her bed. Still, in spite of all this, her disposition was described as cheerful and helpful, and her life as one of unaffected humility, warm benevolence, sincere friendship, and genuine devotion. Anne Steele understands something that I don't understand. That circumstances do not control our disposition. That circumstances do not control this. That Christ is the source of true delight. That Christ is the source of true comfort and true delight for the believer. How was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? He trusted and he rested in the providence and the sovereignty of God. And he realized that there were two invisible hands always controlling and always directing his life. Aslan guides the boat. Aslan directs the boat. In fact, Aslan never takes his hand off of the boat. You can entrust yourself to those hands. May God add